I decided I would rather fear being wrong than fear admitting I'm wrong. I, I decided I would just rather discover I'm wrong than quit discovering that I, I decided I, there, I just don't want to not look under the rocks. You know, there's Jim Collins has this this analogy in leadership and he talks about in your company, you know, there are always the squiggly things under the rocks and you just don't want to know they're there because then you have to deal with them. Well, it's true with the scriptures. That's true theologically. That's true w- with our kids. And I just decided a long time ago, if I am afraid to look, then that says, some, that says a great deal about my worldview. It says a great deal about my theology. So I would just rather fear being wrong and living my life being wrong than living with the fear of admitting I'm wrong. An ordained minister has decided to give up God for a year. How the heck do you just up and become atheist after being a pastor? What I'm most worried about right now is figuring out how I can live openly and honestly. I am finally free to be me. I have no idea how to find friends or become a part of a community that's not religious. What does life look like after church, after religion, after God? That's, you know, that's that's it in a nutshell. This is the Life After God podcast, a conversation on the space between belief and unbelief and beyond with your host, Ryan Bell. Hey, everyone. This is Ryan Bell. Welcome back to the Life After God podcast. Welcome back indeed. It has been a little while, uh, but I think you'll agree that the Life After God podcast is back with a bang after you hear today's conversation. The interview uh, that you're about to hear has been in the works for months. My guest today is Andy Stanley, Senior Pastor of the North Point Community Church in Atlanta, Georgia. But before we get to that, a brief explanation about why the podcast has been dormant the past several weeks. The short answer is that there have been a number of challenges in my personal and professional life, and I simply didn't have the time or the space to do the show. I always struggle a little bit about how self-disclosing to be, uh, how um, interested anyone might be in my, my personal twists and turns of my life. But given that many of you support the show, um, both financially and in social media and with your enthusiastic endorsements and kind emails and letters to me to make sure that I'm okay when I'm not producing a podcast every week, I figured that I would give you just a brief picture into what's been going on in my life the last few days. In what can only be described as a series of unfortunate events, I was first involved in a car accident. Everyone's okay, thankfully. Uh, But my insurance company declared my car a total loss, which is uh, a little disappointing and uh, time-consuming and challenging to figure out what to do next. While I was driving a rental car provided by my insurance company, someone broke into my car and stole my computer. Thankfully, on the car front, friends have uh, loaned me their car while I'm waiting for the settlement check to arrive so that I can purchase a replacement. Um, In addition to that, my kids have had some sizable challenges. I've changed jobs at the brewery. I'm now the taproom manager. uh, And I've also had this debilitating hangnail on my left pinky finger. Okay, that last part isn't true. My finger is fine. But I am very happy that my youngest daughter now lives full-time with me, and her mother and I are working together to find the best resources to support her growth and learning, Uh, and I'm very proud to announce that this past weekend she learned to tie a bow tie. Anyway, I think I've weathered the worst of the storm, though I rarely have a moment of solitude and silence in which to record. I am determined to keep this podcast going. If you've written to me recently and I haven't written back, this is why. 
If I've talked to you about being a guest on the show, no, you didn't do or say anything to put me off. I've just been overwhelmed with the mundanities of life. As for my computer, I'm trying to get the funds together to replace it. Luckily, I had backed it up fairly regularly. Um, I think I've only lost a few days worth of data. Unfortunately, one thing I did lose was an interview that I had done, so I will probably go back and have to redo that. If you'd like to help me replace the computer, which I use to record and edit this show, I'll say more about that at the tail end of this episode. But enough about me. Uh, My guest today, as I said a moment ago, is Andy Stanley, Pastor Andy Stanley. Andy is the senior pastor of the North Point Community Church in Atlanta, Georgia. For the past several years, North Point has had the distinction of being the largest church in America. Somewhere between 34,000 and 36,000 attenders flock to his six campuses each week. Andy is also the author of several books and writes frequently for a variety of different publications. At the beginning of our conversation, we talk about the circumstances that put us in contact with each other. We talk about better and worse versions of Christianity, the value of community, the possibility of Christians engaging with non-believers in various common causes. And I even get Andy to say a word or two about the evangelical crisis of integrity that this election season in particular has highlighted. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want to learn more, please visit our website at lifeaftergod.org. If you'd like to be a part of supporting the show in a tangible way, please consider making a recurring donation of any size at patreon.com slash lifeaftergod. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley, welcome to the Life After God podcast. Thank you, Ryan. This is, uh, I've been looking forward to this and thanks for working it out. Yeah, I've been looking forward to it too. And um, it's, uh, it's a privilege for me to, to chat with you. And, um, so I wanted to just sort of jump into maybe how we got connected. I think the, if I'm remembering the story correctly, you were speaking at a conference, uh, on yep. leadership to a Christian leaders and referred to my podcast and someone tweeted about it and tagged me in that. And we started a conversation from there. Um, and I, I, I have to say, like when I first heard about it, I thought, what is, why is Andy Stanley listening to my podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Why is he talking about it? Yeah, that was actually admitting it out loud. Yeah. 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 It was last spring. And you know, what's funny, Ryan, is I have mentioned the podcast, but not by name before. And people will come up afterwards or, you know, direct message me and say, Hey, what's the name of that podcast? So I've been talking about it for a while, but that was Callus West coast event last spring. And I, mentioned the name of the podcast really to save myself from having to answer that question later because I talked so positively about it. And so you somehow we got in touch and you invited me to be on the program. And I thought, gosh, that's kind of risky for him. And then my staff reminded me, no, it's risky for you. So we're both out here on the edge of our reputations. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that. And I, before we get into any more about um, that sort of uh, end of the conversation, I'd, I'd love to go back to, and one of the things I do on this show with almost every guest is just to go back and ask about your earliest religious memories, the way that you um, first became sort of aware of your spirituality or um, your religious impulses. What was that like for you? And um, like, I guess another way to say it is how did you become a Christian? 
Yeah, my, my story is probably like a lot of the folks that listen to your podcast and even some of your guests. I was raised in a Christian home. My dad's a pastor, um, famous pastor in some circles. You know, I was in a Christian kindergarten and a lady named Aunt Pat had everybody sit on her lap and you had two options. You could ask Jesus in your heart or you could thank Jesus for dying for your sins. Those were your only two options. And so, <laughs> but what is so strange, Ryan, is I still remember that event. I was six years old and that was... That was because I, I remember what I thought. Anyway, I'll move on. Um, so grew up in the church. I've always loved church. Um, you know, our home life was centered on church. You know, we were Southern Baptists. So it was Sunday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, all that kind of stuff. Certainly the center of the universe. I went to Georgia State University. And during that time, um, just I, I wanted to work for the church. It's the strangest thing. And we can talk more about that. But the the interesting part of that was I had several friends who were called to ministry, you know, that whole, they were called. Sure. And I, I never, I never got that. So true story. I'm driving with my dad one afternoon and I said, dad, do you have to be called into the ministry or can you just volunteer? <laughs> he said, <laughs> he said, I think you, I think you can just volunteer. I said, well, I would like to volunteer to be in the ministry. And so, you know, that was kind of that next step for me in terms of thinking about, uh, you know, professional ministry and, you know, just kind of went from there. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it must've been something growing up um, you know, in the family that you did. Um, do you mind saying a bit more about what that was like? I mean, your dad, no, and I listened no. to him on the radio and, you know, it was a, here in Southern California, right? He, his church. Yeah, he's everywhere. Yeah. What was that experience like growing up in, in, uh, in the kind of in the spotlight of the Christian world? Well, you know, you, it's interesting. You've had a couple of other guests who grew up in probably similar ways that I than I that I did. But um, you know, for me, it was so normal. It was it was the only thing I knew, so it didn't seem unusual. And so, you know, through the years, people say, "What's it like to be Doctor Stanley's son?" I'm like, "Well, I don't know. It's the only it's the only family I know." <laughs> the, I think that the interesting and maybe relevant parts for our conversation. Um, is, you know, when I was late in high school, my parents' marriage was was a troubled marriage. And um, eventually, uh, I guess when I was 40-something years old, they eventually got divorced. And so that was that was an interesting thing, I think, in terms of watching two very committed Christians. I mean, my dad's a pastor. My mom was a trained counselor. Um, and so here I am in this Christian home and watching two Christians. I couldn't blame it on, wow, if my parents would just become Christians, you know, things would be different. I think that 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 certainly was a um, those were defining moments for me and my sister as we watched two very committed Christians um, struggle in their marriage, like many Christians do, like 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 lots of people do. But for me and, and for my sister, she's three years younger than me. It never really put a dent in my faith, hmm. and it's one of those things that certainly could have. And even looking back, I I wonder why it didn't. But I, even through those you know very tumultuous times. Um, that never really put a put a dent in my face. So that was kind of an interesting, I think, facet of growing up. Um, my parents were great in the sense that they never pressured us in our faith. They defended us when we were just goofy, normal teenagers. There was there was almost virtually no legalism in our family growing up, which is unusual because you know, as you know, legalism is it's just so deadly. And then again, listening mm. to some of you know some of your guests, and I, my heart just w- would break as I, I listened to their stories. Um, self-righteousness can be so ugly. There was not a lot of self-righteousness and uh, there, I didn't grow up in a very anti-scientific kind of faith. So a lot of those things, I, I think, that create a wedge and drive people away. Fortunately, my parents were great. We just didn't have a lot of that. Well, that's cool. I mean, 
I, I remember too, like growing up um, in a pretty tumultuous childhood, and um, and of course, growing up in the church, you are constantly encountering um, interpersonal conflict. I mean, it's just unavoidable. Anytime people spend that much time around one another, um, there, there's going to be conflict, and and I I just never remember feeling the impulse to blame God for any of that. You know, I just, I just felt like, well, obviously God is righteous and we are unrighteous. And so of course we're going to get into these squabbles. It never, it never occurred to me to say, well, you know, it's God's fault that God's people can't get along. Um, I just figured it was God's people's fault that they couldn't get along. (laughs) So uh, yeah. 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 Yeah, I I never wrestled with that either. I mean, I, I, I certainly met some, some not great Christians, you know, that, I d- didn't want to be like, but I, I somehow I never felt like I needed to pin that on God either. Yeah. So you, I mean, when we first started chatting and, and, and spoke on the phone briefly before, we uh, talked a little bit about your interest in deconversion stories. And um, I know I'm not jumping ahead a little bit here now in the story, but I'm curious about your interest in, in that, my podcast, but you've talked to me about other you know books or yeah. articles that you've read perhaps other podcasts you listen to that focus on that. And I think my main curiosity in talking to you when I first um, found out about that was just a, a curiosity about why, like, what is that about for you? And what, um, what does that mean to you? Well, like we talked about before, you know, through the years I've read dozens of blogs and emails, and letters from people who's either have deconverted themselves or a lot of times it's parents saying, Hey, what do I do? What do I say to my son, my daughter? You know, they went off to graduate school. They've lost their faith. So this was this has been super interesting to me forever, and I don't really understand why it wouldn't be interesting to anybody who does what I do, anybody who's, you know, sort of in the business of helping people, you know, gain faith, reclaim faith, maintain faith, whatever it might right. be. Um, and but as I've lived, but one of the reasons I love the your podcast is it's the stories, and and as I listen, I I generally have one of three responses. One, I think. Well, gosh, if that had happened to me, I would have lost faith as well. I mean, who could blame, you know, people, especially, you know, some of the extreme stories that you, you've you done such a great job unpacking. And by the way, bef- before I forget, you really are good at this, Ryan. And and a lot of us listen to lots of podcasts and lots of interviews, but you really are good. And you, you've done a great job at, you know, um, bringing your story in when it's appropriate, but not making this all about you and your story. And uh, I, I just think it's fabulous. But anyway, I, I listen and I think I would have lost faith as well. The second response sometimes I have is if I were raised with that version of Christianity, because as you and I know, because even our versions of Christianity that we grew up grew up with are different. I think if I had grown up with that version of Christianity, I, I would have lost faith as well. In fact, I, I sometimes secretly cheer these people on. I'm like, I am so glad you let go of that view mm. of God, even if it kind of leaves you wandering in the wilderness for a bit. It's just, There's obviously some very unhealthy views of God. I think we would all agree on that. But yeah. then I think the thing that makes it so interesting to me is that as I listen, not just to your podcast, but again, I'm, we're in a big church. We hear all kinds of stories, all kinds of conversations. I often think, wow, the thing that drove this person away from faith wasn't even an actual part of the Christian faith. It, it wasn't even a fundamental of the faith. And I don't mean fundamentalist. I mean, I mean, there is so much room in the, under the canopy of Christianity. So when somebody says, well, you know, I realized there were contradictions in the Bible, so I lost faith. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, the foundation of, a, of Christianity isn't a 
contradict less book. I mean, it, it, that's, I mean, that's interesting. That's let's talk about it. But Christianity didn't launch because there was a book that had no contradictions or issues of science, historical errors, pain and suffering, you know, all those reasons oftentimes that people lose faith. I listen and I think, wow, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hey, that's real. That's something to talk about, but that's not a reason to, you know, abandon Christianity. So, you know, those are just some of the responses. And again, because I want people to embrace faith, I think it's super interesting and super important for people like me to hear those stories, not just the ones in our churches and, you know, through parents and grandparents or college students who come back after a semester of college and now they know everything and they've, you know, abandoned faith, but these broader stories and to your credit to bring in people, thoughtful non-believers, um, you know, the, the authors, uh, you know, the people who've really, really thought it through because um, agnosticism, atheism tends to attract I, I hate to say this, maybe brighter people, more thoughtful people, uh, more scientifically oriented people. And you've done such a good job blending both the personal and, you know, the more thoughtful. I just think the podcast, your podcast is a is a, a great resource for people on both sides of this conversation. I can't tell you how much that means to me because I feel like um, well, one of the I guess one of the compliments that I occasionally get that I think is the most meaningful is when someone says some version of, you know, that that I'm a bridge builder, you know, and I, cause I felt like even when I was in ministry and now post uh, Christianity for me, um, one of my interests, maybe one of my main interests is in building bridges of understanding between people that find themselves in different places. And, um, I've, you know, I, I think that when we're talking about scientific truth, um, objective reality, um, mathematical, truth there is a kind of capital t truth but but i i often feel like um and the way that these stories get at what truth is about like each person has in another sense their own truth their experience of the world uh through their yeah. lenses through their experience and um it's often not a debate about who's right and who's wrong but about hearing an authentic story of a person's life and saying as you've just said Oh man, if I had been in those shoes, I'd probably be yeah. right where they are. So Exactly. Yeah. It's not a matter of saying, well, they're wrong or they're right. It's like, well, their their story lived out in the way that they've lived it. And and I've even felt when I was a Christian, I thought, you know, the mercy of God, um, you know, if God's judgment is anything like what a lot of Christians think it is, if 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 the God that I believed in is real, you know, God would encounter some folks like that at the end, whenever the end is and, and say, <laughs> I, you know, I don't blame you. You know, uh, right. in fact, some people have said to me like, Ryan, what if you're wrong? Like, what if you've gone through this whole thing and there is a God and you get to the end of your life and you meet God, you know, in judgment or whatever, uh, again, whatever that means. And then, yeah. and he says, Oh man, you blew it. Like you were wrong. Um, you know, what, what will you say? And I think my, my argument would be, look, you gave me this brain and I used it and I came up with the wrong answer, you know? So shoot me like, and, and, and I think God would respect that. Like the God that I would want to believe in would say, congrats on using your brain. Um, and I certainly left a, a, a trail of breadcrumbs that was easily lost. Yep. So, <laughs> um, well, in the, then the breadcrumb, I think that's the breadcrumb trail, I think is a fabulous analogy. I use this I use it all the time. In fact, my, my wife, Sandra, 
So having, we're we're heavily into foster care. Our churches are, and Sandra and I have a 17 year old. She's about to be 17 year old foster daughter that's been in our home for a long time. And so, you know, raising your own kids is one thing. We have three kids, uh, one out of college, two in college. But raising your own kids is one thing. Having someone who comes into your home from a completely different worldview and being people of faith, you know, like we are, that, you know, the, <laughs> the temptation is always to dump the entire bread truck on a person. And we have we have seen not just w- w- with our, our foster daughter, but just in the kinds of ministry, the types of ministry we do, it is breadcrumbs. It's, hey, I, I can't make somebody believe something. In fact, I can't make someone not believe something. Right. But to place those things in front of people that we pick up and go, huh, this is something to consider. This is something to factor in. I, I think at the, at the end of the day, that's really how the whole thing works anyway. And maybe we fool ourselves into thinking that you know these powerful sermons we preach and these extraordinary podcasts that we out there. But it really is an individual journey like, like you just described. And I, I love the breadcrumb analogy. And hopefully this conversation will be that for somebody. That's right. Yeah. Well, I want to go back to something you said a second ago, because you were talking about versions of Christianity or images of God that um, I think atheists and Christians, some certain Christians alike would agree are uh, damaging images of God or damaging versions of Christianity. Um, yeah. And it made me wonder, like, so if you, you know, and I, you're a preacher and you think about this all the time. So what's your elevator speech? Like, what's your short version of what is the the fundamental? And again, like you said, not fundamentalist, but like the core right. aspect right. of uh, a Christianity worth caring about. Well, um, my uh, not so serious answer is I don't want to give up Christianity because I would have to give up country music. So that's kind of my frontline <laughs> response. That's awesome. Because I don't, th- yeah, I don't think you can be a, I don't think you can be agnostic or atheist and listen to country. I, I guess people do. I don't know how they do. So I love country music. So that's my first non-serious answer. But for me, the epicenter of my actual faith in terms of faith experience and my thinking is the resurrection of Jesus. And that's certainly not original with me. I mean, Anybody, I think, that takes the book of Acts seriously or the gospel seriously, that that is the event, that the foundation of our, my faith is not a book. It's not an inerrant book. It's not an infallible book. It's not a book at all. It's an event that Christians believe took place in history, and from that single event, everything unfolds, and it becomes the filter you know, through which we interpret history and a whole lot of other things. So for me, um, and, and obviously that was something I came to later. In fact, one of the things – It'd be kind of fun to talk about, I guess, is, you know, uh, because you're you're excited about talking about your own journey. But again, I grew up like most people with a very childhood, childlike faith. I mean, my parents said, you know, Santa comes on you know Christmas morning and Jesus is coming back and you just believe all of it. Right. <laughs> right. And at some point along the way, um, in fact, Karen Armstrong, I, I don't have this quote memorized. I need to memorize this quote. And I love Karen Armstrong. And she has this great quote about we um, we're introduced. To, this isn't the exact quote. We're introduced to Santa Claus and God at about the same time, and whereas we outgrow our view of Santa Claus, most of us never outgrow our childhood version of God. That's a really <laughs> a bad attempt to quote Carrie Strong. No, but it's and a, there's it's a powerful so, insight though. Oh, it is so important. And so I, I'm I'm constantly you know when I preach and teach saying to folks you know part of my responsibility is to help your faith grow up. You cannot hang on. In other words, childhood faith or not childlike faith, but childhood faith cannot withstand the rigors of adulthood. 
it just can't. Hmm. You know, ask any college sophomore who's (laughs) comes home. You know, they went to college with a Sunday school faith and they came home with lots of questions and lots of skepticism. And mom and dad are like, call the preacher, call the preacher. (laughs) And so, you know, one of the things I think that people in my role don't do very well is help people's faith grow up. But as you know, because you were a pastor a long time, the challenge in that is you have to challenge some childhood presuppositions. Most adults really don't want their faith to grow up. They have a box and it works for them. And don't mess with my box. And if you mess with my box, you're a liberal and perhaps you shouldn't be in ministry anymore. That's somewhat extreme, but you <laughs> you have delved into those very stories as as men and women in ministry have begun to think outside the, either their denominational box or whatever box it might be. But that's my responsibility as a pastor is to help people's faith grow up. And when it doesn't, it just collapses under the reality of science. It collapses under the reality of just adult life, of varying worldviews. I mean, as soon as a person leaves this country and, and interacts with different cultures, you realize how big the world is and how a simplistic faith really, um, it, it just up under the, you know, under reality. So that, you know, that's kind of an approach I take because, again, there are some, there are multiple versions of the Christian faith and I just think some of them should be abandoned. So, yeah. And what is the, for you, how do you evaluate those? I mean, because this became a challenge for me as a minister. Um, I was raised in a pretty fundamentalist religion yep. and served in that same denomination my entire pastoral ministry. And for us, um, in fact, officially, the Seventh-day Adventist Church does not believe in a, a perfectly inerrant Bible. Um, one of our founders uh, fairly famously said that um, God is not on trial in the Bible. God's words are not... Um, you know, it's it's an anthropomorphism to 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 kind of think about God speaking in in human language, and so we never had this hang up about verbal in, inspiration in the Adventist Church, and yet in actual practice, people did um, sort of revere the Bible almost in lieu of of Jesus. And um, but then, you know, when I started thinking about it more, what resources do we really have? outside of the Bible and our own personal experience for evaluating truth claims or evaluating versions of Christianity or versions of the gospel um, that may or may not uh, jive with um, our sense, our own in sort of internal compass, our moral sensibilities about what's right and wrong or what's useful or not useful. <laughs> that was a long question. <laughs> I'm sorry. I tend to ramble. <laughs> I know it was good. It was I left good. off I asking know. a question and started yeah. preaching. I no, guess. It was no. It, it, it's you're exactly right, and that's the. Uh, and again, you you pastored for so long, you know this challenge. You're sitting at home, you know, and here comes Sunday, right? And you got to have something to say that they've never heard before, and ever heard in a way they've heard this before. Mm. And yet there is there are guardrails. You can only go so far left, so far right, and right. you got to make this interesting. And then you feel the weight of responsibility to help people grow in their faith or, or mature in their faith. And you're right. There aren't uh, there aren't um, resources in the way that we traditionally think about resources yet. But that's the challenge. I mean, that's that's the hey, put on your big boy pants and, you know, lead these people, pastor these people. But there is not a lot of help unless, again, a pastor is working within a very rigid system where all the questions have already been answered. Hmm. We just regurgitate those answers week after week after week after week. Many people, most people are 
absolutely fine with that because we all want certainty. Mm. But the challenge of leadership, the challenge of leadership in business, the challenge of leadership in church, the challenge of leadership is always the issue of uncertainty. If, the, if everything was certain, there would be no need for leadership. Uncertainty, I tell leaders this all the time, uncertainty is um, your job security because uncertainty cries out for leadership. And I believe that's true theologically. I think that's true within the local church. But having a broad and broad enough parameters, having the guardrails far enough apart to where there's room to navigate the uncertainty, both in the Christian faith and parenting and, you know, marriage and so many things, it's super important. And one of the advantages <laughs> that I have is, you know, 21 years ago, I started a church and we're not part of any denomination. So I kind of cheated. You know, I we kind of created our own box and our box has has morphed through the years. But the reason we did that or the reason our original team decided to do that was we really have a passion for people developing personal faith. And oftentimes when you show up with, you know, the preconceived box, it it it's you know, puts people off, which I get that's what we did everybody, but it, it has certainly given us some running room and it has certainly given us some broader parameters. And when I listen to your story or um, listen to, uh, what was the David, what's David's last name? He was early, early on in your podcast history. David Hay- Hayward, is Hayward, that right? Hayward, yeah. yeah. The Vineyard pastor. And I'm super you know familiar with the Vineyard movement and listening to his story and hearing his story and thinking about that within the context of Vineyard theology, I thought, wow, you know, it's broader than some, but still, I just, you know, I could just feel his pain as he was attempting to be honest within the, you know, the context of a specific, you know, denominational or theological framework. So, yeah, it's interesting. That was a long answer to your, yeah, <laughs> to your, my long question. Sorry. No, no, it's great. And I, I, I so resonate with that because I, I can remember the one of the first times I became, aware of my agnosticism around, for example, just to pick one, um, heaven and eternal life, you know, and, and I remember listening to this preacher that was, you know, waxing so confident about all of these things. And I thought, you know, and and if the funny thing was like in the Adventist church, we teach uh, soul sleep. And so, uh, and I still say we, you notice I catch me saying, saying we, it's still part. I wasn't going to bring that up. (laughs) (laughs) Still part of my background. It's still part of, you know, my, my history. Um, And so, you know, this preacher was really used, trying to use the Bible to show that everybody that thinks that you go straight to heaven or straight to hell after you die is wrong. And our way is the right way that we, you know, show that, person is resting in the grave until Jesus comes. It's very like fine, you know, kind of uh, fine grained argument. Um, And I thought, how can he be so sure? Because there seem to be Bible verses on both sides, you know, and and all of this kind of thing. So um, I I am familiar with that, that desire for certainty and the way in which our actual experiences of life come up against the things that we've been given with a great degree of certainty through our traditions or through the scripture or through the way we had the scripture interpreted for us as children and so forth. And that's where the tension it seems to me um, society is always moving along. One would have to, um, you know, we would have to debate whether it's progressing or regressing depending on one's political views, but um, society is moving, you know, in flux all the time and, you know, our traditions tend to be fairly uh, static and it, it creates that kind of tension, it seems like. And that 
that is a that's an enormous issue. I mean, this was this goes back to Copernicus, right? Mm. It's like, hey, I think I've discovered something that's going to rock the religious world, and eventually the church gives up, says, hey, okay, we're going to trust our eyes, and we'll just go back and figure out how the scripture supports this. So this is this is an unfolding drama that you know that on your side of the aisle and on my side of the aisle we're constantly grappling with because my my you know i have i don't know three or four um semi close friends i'm not a great friend so when i say close friends sandra kind of looks at me like really you don't have any friends <laughs> she says you need to get some friends because one day you're going to retire you're not going to have any friends but people that i have conversations with or in network with or that i see in green rooms sometimes who are very agnostic or may secretly um, say they're atheist. Those are those are fascinating conversations because they have the same questions I do. It's just th- the words are different. It's a, mm. it's a different perspective because there is so much mystery. But here's here's something that really helps me and, and helped me. And sometimes this gets me in trouble with my evangelical friends. And I, I just decided a long time ago, and maybe this has to do with my background. Maybe this has to do with being a preacher's kid. I decided I would rather fear being wrong than fear admitting I'm wrong. I I, said I would just rather discover I'm wrong than quit discovering that I, I decided I, there, I just don't want to not look under the rocks. You know, there's Jim Collins has this this uh, analogy in leadership and he talks about in your company, you know, there are always the squiggly things under the rocks and you just don't want to know they're there because then you have to deal with them. Right. Well, it's true with the scriptures. That's true theologically. That's true w- with our kids. And I just decided a long time ago, if I am afraid to look. Then that says some, that says a great deal about my worldview. It says a great deal about my theology. So I would just rather fear being wrong and living my life being wrong than living with the fear of admitting I'm wrong. Now that puts me in a pretty precarious position as a pastor because every you know seven days or so I have to get up and and be confident and clear. And yet, as you do such a great job on this podcast talking about dealing with just being honest with myself. And neither allowing myself to be misled or intentionally or unintentionally misleading other people. But even with that tension that I live with every single day, I just would rather fear being wrong than admitting I'm wrong. Because you, you've seen this. The moment, the moment a man or woman decides I can't be wrong, I can't be caught being wrong, they stop learning. They stop growing. They have just put a lid on their own personal development. And I just don't want to do that. And – if there is a God, there's no reason to do that. That's what right. in the world do I fear? So, mm-hmm. um, I think that's also true that like pathologies grow in that environment too, where a person oh decides they can't, yes. you know, I, I, the, the funny thing is yes. when you said that the first thing I thought of wasn't even religion or spirituality, it was marriage. You know, like if a, <laughs> if a spouse says I cannot be copying, I will not be wrong in this situation. Yeah. It's like, Oh my End goodness. Of the relationship. Yeah, and, that relationship has just ended whether the marriage has or not. It's, right. You cannot be in an actual relationship with someone who can't admit they're wrong or acknowledge that they even might be wrong. The relationship is over at that point. And just think about it. If you know, if I believe I can have a relationship with my, my invisible sky father, to borrow somebody else's terminology, well, then I can't shut down the fact that I may be wrong about my heavenly father are wrong about God. That's, that's silly. And you know, if yeah. I believe this is God's world, then why would I, you know, shut down the possibility that I've been wrong about 
portions of God's world. So I, my uh, kind of sidebar, my doctor is Jewish. His name, you're going to think I'm making this up. His name is Alan Einstein, and oh, wow. he's actually distantly related to Albert Einstein. So Whoa. Uh, just to say he's a bright guy, he's a bright guy, he, and he's a great, great doctor, and we're very good friends. And so you know, once a year I go in and get a physical, and and Alan, Doctor Einstein, is not a Christian, but he is a theist. He definitely believes in God. And <laughs> every once in a while, he'll be going through my physical. He loves to talk about proteins and just just the complexities. You know, it, it it's like going to school every time he goes through this report. And about maybe it was last year, right in the middle of this very in depth explanation of you know what's going on in my body, he turns to me and he says. How could anybody not believe in God? And then he turns back and you know goes back to his thing. So again, the, the magnificence, the complexity of life that we continue to discover and it continues to unfold. You know, for me, that you know that points to here's how God did it. For other people, it points away from here's how God did it to ultimately everything can be explained through natural law. But I'm convinced, Ryan. I'm absolutely convinced. As long as our hands are open, as long as our minds are open then ultimately we're all going to keep learning and we're all going to keep hopefully moving in the direction of what is actually true. And I think anyone that fears that and Christians, gosh, the fear in Christians around this subject topic just drives me crazy because, I mean, (laughs) you know this, half our song, no, two thirds of our worship songs are about fear not, whom shall I fear? (laughs) Why are we afraid? Then I'm like, yeah, but then you, you know, you close down your mind in the face of new information and so anyway, that's that's just kind of my take, and I don't know if that's just the rebellious preacher's kid in me still talking, or, but it, I feel like it served me well, and it has certainly allowed me to have a, a broader circle of relationships and hopefully influence um, than perhaps I would normally have. So well, I think uh, you know it, there is you know not everything boils down to uh, data and numbers, but you know your church and in all of its um, locations is. Um, by last time I looked, the, the largest group in the country. And so that says something about the way that you're, not just you, of course, but as the senior leader there, the the way that your articulation of these issues draws people. Because I, I find, um, and my friend Peter Rollins was the first one who said this in a way that it clicked with me, that we want them to come to church and not have doubts. Um, but then they go out into the world where they work and they have all these doubts, but they can't come to church and admit them because that would be taboo. And, and my friend Peter said, you know, it should be the other way around. Church should be the place where we come and we sit together and we say, oh my goodness, how can you make sense of this? I can't make sense of this. I read this Bible verse this week. This Bible verse makes God sound like a monster. Don't you think? And what do we do with this? And then go out in the world and be like, okay, I'm good. You know, I'm, I have to do my job, but I'm a believer. Or I'm confident in my faith. And then come back to church and be like, I'm not so confident in my faith. You know, like, <laughs> but instead we do it the other way around where we all have to be perfect in church. And then we go out in the world, you know, Christians go out in the world and, and they're, well, you know, I don't really believe that. Or, you know, push comes to shove, they're going to choose the secular path. That's why I, I often say that people are like functional secularists because they really do live, all of us, we have to, in a, in a way, to, to function in the world. Uh, live based on a, a great number of the sort of sec- secular values. But I, I think that that's a real advantage that if people can come to church and drop their guard a little bit and say, hey, it's okay. None of us know 100% of everything all the time. It's all right. Yeah, I love that. That I, I think you're exactly right. We are all, to some extent, 
um, functional agnostics or atheists in the in the strict sense of hey if if Christian faith is true in terms of how most people actually live, not because they don't really believe, but because in some versions of Christianity, there's just not room to live. You you actually cannot actually live it out, not because the faith is flawed, but oftentimes the tightly wound version of our faith. Now, and and I have to stop you, or not stop you, but add this, and again, this is, you know, this is just my perspective. I think you would like our churches. I think you would like our church. It's because I we have we have worked so hard, and we're not perfect because I'm there first of all. But we're not perfect because it's a lot of people there. But the the way we have the way we do things, we so value story, and we so value people's personal experience. And there's, you know, we're not condemning or not judgmental. I mean, everybody's experience is everybody's experience, Mm. and so in in those. You know, and that's why sometimes when I, I listened, not just to your podcast and to the X Files, but to other people's stories uh, that are outside our city or outside my sphere of influence, I always think, "Oh man, I wish you could come to our church." Not yeah, because it's perfect, but your your experience—not you, but just the experience—would be sure. so differently different. Uh, we have, you know, two or three times through the years, I've had Jewish people. I don't know why it's always Jewish people that say this, but three times I've had Jewish people say to me, Andy. We love coming here. You're a great motivational. You're a great motivational speaker. We just filter out the Jesus part. Yeah. And I'm like, that is not offensive to me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, I, you have found community here. Your kids like it here. And of course, as a Christian, I'm thinking, yeah, you just sit here long enough. That Jesus part's going to break through someday, which I actually believe. But I, I don't feel compelled, you know, to arm wrestle them to the floor to convince them because I can't convince anybody of anything, and I. I don't have the ability to make someone believe or, or, or disbelieve. And I, I uh, before I leave that, I think it would be fun, maybe not today, to talk about. Or you could probably get somebody who's an actual expert on this to talk about just the issue of belief um, and that whole that whole migration when somebody wakes up one day. And this is something I try to explain to our leaders that I don't think there's a point in time when people don't decide not to believe. Right. Then they decide to believe. You wake up, oh my gosh, I don't believe. Mm. I, I don't know when it happens. <laughs> or the other way, oh my gosh, I I believe this. I that's such an interesting yes. um, interchange. And we know cognitively that apparently we start believing things before we know we do, and we stop right. believing things before we know. You know, there's there's that whole there's that whole interesting sequence that I think Christians kind of gloss over sometimes because it. But it's it's such an interesting. Interesting thing. So I, I've never felt compelled to try to convince. If I if I think I have convinced someone to believe something, then I, I'm fooling myself, and they're fooling themselves. So I, we just we just don't operate with that kind of pressure. And I think I don't too, know if like it had if, anything to do with the podcast, but it, <laughs> no, I think it's, it's fantastic. It's an interesting topic. It sure is, and I think that if there is, and I you know again, my quest is for truth. You know, when I did this thing with Sean McDowell. Um, the ministry that hosted us was, is called Truth Matters Ministry. And I think I made mm-hmm. the comment at one point during our conversation, like, we certainly can all agree on that, you know, that truth matters. And, and yep. that if there is a truth out there, that it would have resonance among people of differing yeah. sort of surface yeah. level commitments. So like, if we say like, at the surface of things, some people are Jewish, some people are Hindu, some people are Muslim, some people are Christian. Those commitments have very particular manifestations in the world. 
Um, some people go to synagogue. Some people go to church. Some people pray in a certain way. Some people pray other ways. But if beneath those surface level traits, there is a truth of some sort, it makes sense that a Jewish person would come to your church and it would resonate with them, even if the particulars, and of course we would differ maybe over whether Jesus is a particular or a deeper quality, but but I think what what I hear them saying is, yeah, the manifestation of your way of doing this doesn't really meet my um, commitments, but I right. get what you're doing here, and it makes sense to me, and I like it. Well, part of it is I deeply believe that community is one of the most powerful things on the planet. And this is – we can talk about this later if there's time. But I think it's super interesting what you guys are trying to do – not trying to do – what you're doing in terms of creating community around this sort of an not anti but non-religious community. It's not church. I, I think it was um, – Bart Campolo that you interviewed and he was right. talking about taking college students on retreats and doing all the kind of stuff he learned in church right. with these college students. And it's like, but it was just a non-spiritual retreat. But again, it was, hey, everybody needs community. And what I have experienced and what I've seen, and if we come back around to this in, in a few minutes, part of, our, I don't think, part of what I know has solidified and continues to solidify my faith and my confidence in, in Jesus in terms of who Jesus cl- claimed to be is the issue of community because it's so extremely, extremely powerful. And, um, and, and you know, you've taught this stuff. The, the New Testament, especially the Apostle Paul, is replete with Basically, the local church is just supposed to one another, one another. I mean, mm-hmm. that's yeah. that's the church. It's love one another, forgive one another, accept one another, carry one another's burdens. And so I say all the time, who doesn't want that? Ev- everybody wants to be one another and be part of a one another in community. And that's not certainly not exclusive to Christianity, but it certainly should define Christianity. And when it does, it's powerful. And when it doesn't, um, oftentimes you know, everybody's back is to the culture and next thing, you know, it's today and all kind of goofy stuff. So we've we have really through the years uh, really tried to capitalize on genuine, not just Sunday school or putting people in groups, but actual community, because I'm absolutely convinced really community of any kind. But community within the context of the of the Christian community it is so extremely, extremely powerful, because, as you said earlier, most of us have more things in common than not. Right. In fact, we have we have way more in common than not. If you take into consideration just what's happening within our physical bodies as we have this conversation that we have no control over at all, and, right. and and neither of us fully understand. So the commonality among you know human beings is so massive that it's it's a little strange at times when the Christian community um, you know finds itself I think unnecessarily at odds with people across whatever aisles because. There's 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 so many there's so much that we have in common. And I think the desire and the need for community is one of those one of those, you know, huge factors. And I and I, I would I it's super interesting to me and I'll shut up about this. It's super inter- interesting to me to watch your team and you know, the people who are in your circle work hard to create community. And it's fascinating because I would have never guessed that that would have been a value that you not a value that you valued, but something that you would uh, intentionally leverage. And I, I think it's a super powerful and, and interesting thing. And it'll be fun to see how that, you know, unrolls, uh, you know, rolls out and how it's going to look and, you know, with different age groups and with, you know, different people. So that's, I think you're to be applauded for that for sure. Well, thank you. And I think it's the thing that I hear most often that people say like, they don't miss um, the theology that was abusive. They don't miss 
you know, have even having to go to church, like going to church per se, but they miss the community. They miss having yep. someone like I, I was talking to someone once and she's like, I want to, I want someone to bake a casserole for when they're sick. You know, I want, and I want someone to bake me a casserole when I'm sick. You know, I want, th- those are the things that are like, it's not sitting in a pew listening to a talk as much as I'm, I'm, a, I'm the biggest nerd in the world. I'll go sit in any chair and listen to any interesting talk. But, but, uh, on any, almost any subject, (laughs) but, but, um, that sense of I'm really at my low point, who cares? Does anyone care about that? And if they care, is there any, any like follow through on, Oh, Hey, can I take you out for a drink or can I come sit with you and we'll watch some stupid sitcom together? You know, just whatever it is that might get us through that hump, you know, and, and, uh, that's what people miss the most. It's isolating in part because the culture really is not yet v- fully familiar with people who lose their faith, even though it happens all around us all the time. Um, there is a stigma around it still to such a degree that people have lost their marriages, their children, their neighborhood relationships, their jobs over just simply saying, you know what? I don't think I believe this story anymore. Um, and so then what naturally should happen, it seems to me, or what not maybe should, but what does happen is that people find one another in that space where they say, oh, that happened to you too. Oh, it's like a recovery group, you know, <laughs> where yep. you're like, oh, I've been through that crisis. Have you? And yes, I have. And let's talk about it, you know. And I think churches that are doing what churches are designed to do, do that well. One of the big knocks that we get, of course, is because we're a mega church, you know. Right. All you know, all we are is we're we're a whole bunch of people who have found community, and we just all show up at the same places for an hour and five minutes on Sunday to, to worship. But at the end right. of the day, the reason that what makes our church a church is exactly what you just talked about. It's hey, I found my people. Somebody cares for me. There's somebody that's going to be there for me. And in our case, you know, because I just think this is the New Testament mandate. I, whenever we have an opportunity to reach out beyond our, our theological you know, guardrails or our belief system and to love a person who's outside our particular version of the Christian faith, th- that's even more our responsibility, not with a hook at the end, not with a, and by the way, and, you know, do a gospel presentation. I'm just, you know, my, you know, uh, non, not, not, no strings attached love, no strings attached compassion, no strings attached, gen, uh, attached generosity. It's, it may be the most powerful force on the planet when somebody does something for me and there really is genuinely nothing in it for them. But I think, and I bet you would agree just, you know, from your understanding of the new Testament, that is what Jesus was after when he said to his guys at the end, Hey, look, I'm leaving. And here's the one thing, if you forget everything else by this, Hmm. All men will know that you're my disciples, not what you know, not how often you show up, not how well you sing, not how well you preach and not how big your church is, but that you have love for one another. And then he took it from the golden rule to what I call the platinum rule. He said, and your love for one another is not to be based on how well you have been loved or how well you are at loving. You are to take your cue from how much I loved you. And suddenly all the excuses are gone. And as a Christian in my, you know, at the epicenter of Christianity is my willingness to sacrificially love another person and to do for others what others aren't doing for them to do for one, what I wish I could do for everyone. It's the way I say it. Mm. And again, I, I don't think for a minute, this is an exclusively Christian value. And I'm not even 
trying to use this as a proof of anything. Sure. But but as you know, my gosh, the reputation of the church would be light years ahead of where it is if the if the church had kept that as the primary mandate rather than some of the other goofy things that we get all caught up in. And to your point earlier, that is the common ground. That's the common ground for humanity. Again, who doesn't want to be in a one another um, you know, community? So that's that's something these 21 years we I have just pounded on that nail over and over and over and over and over. Um, and, you know, it's it's work. So, yeah, that's fantastic. And I mean, none, none of it's original with me, for sure. So, no, of course. And I mean, I my last sermon as a pastor, um, which was somewhat which is in- a sad thing to even say right there, right. my last sermon. As a pastor. And it was on, anyway. it was on, you know, because we, uh, as Seventh day Adventist, our church met on Saturdays. So it was the Saturday before Easter. So it was oh, that, right. you know, Holy Saturday, that day that, as the story is told, Jesus was dead in the tomb. Um, and it was my last sermon. <laughs> a lot of things oh, died that day. So it was interesting because I, I spoke from First Corinthians 13. And it's something that had been percolating in me for about a year and a half. And, you know, this final uh, triptych that Paul, you know, uses, this faith, hope, and love. And it had never occurred to me, and I, I, I'm sure this may not be Paul's, have been Paul's intention or whoever wrote it. But for me, there was a kind of cascading effect where faith had let me down. Like I couldn't believe these unbelievable things anymore. And yeah. then hope was the thing that kept me going. And I had had a few experiences both in, um, you know, uh, a kind of world conflict situation that I had been an observer in and uh, and some other issues in my life. Uh, hope, I felt kind of hopeless. And then it, it occurred to me as I'm reading this thing again that love is the thing that that lasts. You know, he says this is you know, the, of, the, of these three, the one that remains is love. And even when your faith fails you and hope seems foolish, uh, you can still love people no matter what you believe. And this is where I, I wanted, this is such a good segue into one of the uh, things I wanted to ask you is how you feel about building this type of community that you've spoken so beautifully and eloquently about between um, religious people, especially Christians, since that's your area, and uh, secular people. Is there, do you see a way in our increasingly secularizing country for Christians and secular folks to intentionally create uh, at least, if not the kind of community that you have in mind, at least in the short term, at least bonds of partnership in common cause and that type of thing. Absolutely. Um, In fact, it's interesting you ask that question. We do a, uh, we do a campaign every year. It's called Be Rich, and there's a reason why we call it Be Rich. I named it that. Long story. Actually, a short story, but maybe not all that interesting. And every year, I just felt years ago that I wanted our churches to be public in their support of what is making a difference in our communities, not through faith-based organization or faith-based charities, but through the best charities. So every year, um, we we have a whole team. These are staff members now. This thing's gotten so big that go out into our various communities around our local churches, and we find the best charities, the people who are knocking out of the park in terms of the homeless, school mentoring, foster care, whatever it might be. And we raise a bunch of money, and we just deliver really, really big checks to these organizations that are making an actual difference. Some of them are faith-based. Many of them are not. And if I can brag for just a second, this is our 10th year. We launch it this coming Sunday. 
And this year, we will pass the $25 million mark that we will have given away to charities in our communities around the Atlanta area, Whoa. which $25 million, I know, it's a lot of money. In fact, it's worth, it's worth me being a Christian just to be able to leverage that kind of generosity. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I mean, it's really fabulous. But what's so cool, it's not just the money. These are organizations that we're involved with year-round. We send volunteers. Uh, but the once a year for three Sundays, we just – I bear down hard and I say, hey, we're going to do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. These are rock star charities. You know, here's what they do. And then, I mean, how how not brilliant is this? I just look into the lens at all of our Atlanta area churches and some of our dispersed communities and say – Everybody today, you give $39.95. A one-time gift of $39.95. Well, people give way more than that. And so we usually give away four to five million dollars a year after this thing has gotten cranked up. But and, wow. and my point that and we're not the only church that does that of kind course. of thing. We're not yeah, the yeah, yeah. But the point is the we're not looking for faith-based organizations necessarily. We're looking for the best organizations. So when we show up with these checks, we're talking to people who are non-religious, different religion, you know, great charities. They hire whoever helps them get the job done. They're not you know, asking faith questions. And it has, it has done so much in our various communities to, again, bring together people who don't necessarily agree around faith issues, but who care for people who wanted to have great organizations and do great things in their communities. And again, no strings attached. Generosity is, is a super powerful thing. The, the other answer or the other sort of switching gears and you again we haven't rehearsed any of this so you may disagree with this next thing but last uh let's see in january i knew we were about to have i mean it didn't take a rocket science to figure out we were about to have a really tumultuous year as a nation as we moved into this election i had no idea how crazy it was going to get so in january um, i preached a sermon called avoiding election infection now our our churches are not primarily Democrats or Republican. We have everything, and we work hard to keep it that way. We're we this is super important to us, and so I said to our congregation, "Look, um, we're not going to be allow what happens this year in terms of the election to divide us. Actually, we're going to capitalize on it." And my simple point was this: our common ground is not our political party, but our common ground as Christians is simply this. We may not agree on what's best for people, but we have to agree that what's best for people is best. That's it. That's the common ground. We may not agree on what's best for people, but we have to agree what's best for people is best. Well, that's a very, very broad message. That's not a religious message. Right. That's a community message. That's a national message. Well, Why? A, say, I would call it a humanist message in a way, yeah. and I don't want to well, peg you with that label necessarily. Uh, but no, no, Please don't. <laughs> no, but it is. It is. And But – it flows not exclusively – this isn't an exclusive truth claim, but it certainly f- flows from the heart of the gospel. I mean right. if we really believe John 3.16, like for God so loved the world that he sacrificed his son, well then we, I think it's safe to say God is for people. I mean if you're willing to pay that high price hmm. you know, for the people of the entire world, then, then what's best for people is absolutely what's best. So we've kind of pounded that nail kind of on and off all year long to say, hey, we're not going to be politically divided because we have something in common. We all agree that what's best for people is what's best. Let's figure that out together. So in answer to your important question, yes, there there is so much common ground. There is so much overlap. And, you know, conversations like the one we're having and, you know, other conversations that happen around the country on similar things. The whole um, racial issue, 
I mean, good grief. We're, you know, there's got to be common ground around how we heal our racial divide. And that's not a exclusive Christian message or exclusive humanist message. That's a, that's just a a message of compassion. So yeah, I think there's, there's lots of common ground, lots of things we should do, lots of things churches should be doing. Yeah, no, I think that's amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm inspired, you know, and I think that uh, was when I was a pastor, similar vision. I mean, we did all sorts of things to work on issues of um, social crisis in our, in, in the city of Los Angeles and, you know, shared common cause with, yep. you know, Jews and Muslims and yeah. Hindus and atheists and whoever was interested in what's best for people, as you say. Yeah, um, what's best for people is what's best. And, you know, and I, I really don't want to, uh, and, and maybe this is uh, wading onto some thin ice here, but there's been, as a result of the election season, a lot of talk about the future of evangelicalism, mostly as a voting block, which I, I really respect the fact that you don't, uh, you know, wade into that or, or participate in that narrative. But I think it's it's fair to say that the phenomenon of this election has really shed a light on um, some of the shifting sand that the evangelical uh, American evangelical community has been uh, built on uh, lately. I don't know if that's fair to say, but yep, um, how, so. how do you feel about evangelicalism? If, I mean, and again, there's not just like there's not one type of. Christianity. There's not one evangelicalism, but I mean, yeah. And I'm not a spokesman for for anybody. So that's, that's true. (laughs) But you are the pastor of the largest church in the country. So I'm sure people turn to you for those kinds of comments, but, but, and here, and here I am going for it again, but I mean, what do you, what do you think about, I mean, just as you, just from, as a person, like, what do you think, how does, how does evangelicalism fare? What, what does it, what should they be doing both now, but more importantly in a month from now and going forward after this election, uh, to, if possible, reclaim some integrity. Wow. Um, I guess at the high level, you know, when Jesus was arrested, he, he, he made this amazing statement. I don't know what could be any clearer. He said, and I quote, my kingdom is not of this world. <laughs> and, every, and every time we try to make it of this world, we lose something and we look stupid and we go backwards. Mm-hmm. I mean, what could be clearer? My kingdom is not of this world. Um, I just think Christians look way better when we are defending other people's rights than when we are defending our own. And I think that's absolutely essential to the message of Christianity. And the moment we all get organized and get our backs against the wall and think that somehow we have to even even and this is I mean, this is going to put me in a bad spot with folks. But even the issue of religious liberty, as, as I watch Christians, you know, fret, number one, I, when, when I hear about we're losing our religious liberty, I think, have you guys been anywhere else in the world? Are you kidding <laughs> me? We, I mean, right, what? But anyway, OK, I. I shouldn't go down that road. But I, I just think there is a way to navigate all of this. It goes back to what we have in common. I think, again, once we try to make the kingdom of Jesus or the kingdom of the church, the kingdom of the world, we lose something. We lose, we lose, we lose, we lose. And the whole idea of imposing our will or imposing our biblical worldview, and I don't want to mention any names because I, I don't do sure. that. And you don't do that either, which I appreciate. But 
some of the, these outspoken evangelicals that essentially continue to confuse the kingdom of God with the kingdom of America, I think, you know, I'm a Republican. I'm a very conservative person, but I just don't get it. I, it, it is, it's baffling to me, and it goes back to something we talked about earlier, I think. Again, I don't speak for anyone. This is just my opinion. There's so much fear. There is so much fear. In fact, last 4th of July or 4th of July ago, I – well, no, no. It was last fall. Um, <laughs> I – and this kind of – somebody took this clip. It went around the internet for a while. I just said – I said, hey, if you're over 45 years old, stop scaring the children. Stop scaring the children. <laughs> you – I did. I mean this kind of – and I said, look, you, you're a bunch of Christians who sing about we're fearless and God's going to do this and that and da-da-da. And then when you get on your political high horse – it's like the world's coming to an end. I'm like, wait, what happened to your faith? What happened to fearlessness? So stop doing that. <laughs> well, so that, you know, that that's my take on the whole thing. And I should probably shut up before yeah, I say no, something. <laughs> I, I should too, because, you know, people don't listen to this podcast for my political views and I don't share them really. I, I, yeah. I try to. Um, and when I was a pastor, I did the same thing. I, you know, we're obviously a religious non churches are religious nonprofits. They don't weigh in on partisan, but they ought not to weigh in on polit- political partisanship. And, um, but the values that are important, um, are, are values. And I think they are the, do- certainly the domain of, of religious and humanists. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. yeah, so I think those are, 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 are key issues, but no, I appreciate your, um, the broad tent that you've pitched here, this this um, wide open space for people to uh, step into community, uh, to honestly face their questions, their doubts, their fears, um, their anxieties, and to find fellowship and comfort and also challenge to live for the sake of others. I mean, to me, this is um, the heart of any useful religion. I mean, I think religions play a valuable role in our society, they have for centuries and millennia, and um, they and they can also get off course, uh, just the way that yeah. secular people can get off course. And yeah. and it's uh, it's so it's not unique to religious people to um, try to leverage their ideology for their own benefit. Um, and it's you know Christians and non Christians and people of no faith at all do that too. So, um, yeah, I, I just, I love what you're up to. And if I'm in Atlanta, when next time I'm in, in Atlanta, in fact, I'm in Atlanta about once a, a year because uh, I have a good friend out there who's a partner in, in the life after God effort. And, uh, I will definitely make an effort to, to come out yeah. there. Well, actually I should make an effort to come your way cause your weather's better. Yeah. Well, if you, if you are in Los Angeles, uh, you know, the next cup of coffee is on me. Uh, we can, well, and we can do better than coffee, but yes, <laughs> that, love that to... would be fun. And I, yeah, I just want to say, I love talking about this podcast. I think what you're doing is super, super important. And I think your background gives you, um, a, a extra leverage. And, um, I just appreciate the fact that you're so fair, even when you, uh, interview guests who kind of want to go down a, a little bit more hypercritical, harsh role. I, I never sense anger in you or even frustration. You clearly are, seem to have processed your story and the hurt and the pain and all the junk that I'm sure you faced um, coming out of the situation you did. So I, I just commend you on what you're doing. And thanks for taking a chance and let me uh, 
be a part of this. It really means a lot to me. Well, and I know you've taken a chance and probably things that you've said can be as, as you know, you stand up in front of a large audience every weekend and one phrase can be taken out of context every single week, I'm sure. So <laughs> you're no, you're no stranger to that, but uh, thanks for taking a chance on this one too. And we will uh, do everything we can to stick up for you. I appreciate you uh, coming on the show. Thanks, Ryan. As I said to Andy in the conversation that you just heard, um, I am so grateful for his time uh, as a very busy person leading a very large organization, but also his courage in coming on this show. Even the name of the show, Life After God, will raise eyebrows among uh, many of his colleagues and other evangelicals around uh, the country and around the world that I'm, I'm sure follow him closely. I'm grateful for people of courage like Andy and the way that he speaks so frankly about his faith and about uh, the disappointments that he has with his own uh, faith group, uh, Christians, especially evangelicals in America, and, and yet how he seeks to define a way of being Christian for himself and his community that uh, is, a, is a kind of a way forward for some people. Almost every comment that Andy made could have led to another question, and as you can imagine, I'm keenly aware of what those questions are and how we could have taken this conversation in a variety of different directions. But what I hope that you heard in this conversation today is essentially two pastors uh, talking to each other, one um, quite famous and very engaged in the Christian community, leading people to Christ, leading people to the church, trying very hard to make the church an influence for good in the world. And on my end of things, a former pastor, someone who doesn't believe in the truth claims of Christianity anymore, but who still very uh, strongly believes that together we can make the world a better, more hospitable, more equitable place for people. And uh, and in that respect, I, I deeply admire what, what Andy and his uh, staff and church members and his entire community at North Point are doing to, to uh, do their part. No, no doubt we will disagree about many things, even many of the specific things perhaps that his church does and stands for. But at the heart of it, um, I feel like um, Andy is an honest person, and that's really what matters the most to me. And I just am grateful for the courage, as I said, for him to come on the show and, and speak so frankly. I hope you appreciated it as well. As I said, of course, there are many things we could have followed up on, and perhaps we will. Perhaps we'll have a, uh, a different kind of conversation in the future if that opportunity presents itself. But I'm very, very excited to have had the chance to speak to Andy, and more than that, to have the chance to be his friend and to communicate with him uh, from time to time about various different issues that affect our families, our community, our culture here in, in the United States. Um, I mentioned at the in the intro to the show that my computer was stolen, and I think nothing has broken my heart more uh, about the recent losses than, than losing my computer. Thankfully, as I said, I back it up fairly often, but uh, just trying to get my life back together 
has been a big challenge. And one of those challenges is, is purchase, purchasing a new computer. So if you'd be interested in helping me out with that in any way, um, I, I really can't continue to produce the show very successfully without, without a dedicated computer for that purpose. So um, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes and on our social media ways that you can um, pitch in a little bit if you'd like. And certainly don't feel any obligation to do that. But as a, a, a computer that is used for Life After God and, and for the work that we're doing, um, it would certainly be uh, much appreciated by me and by Brian uh, as we try to move this organization forward to help more people. If you want to learn more about this or any other aspects of Life After God, you can visit our website at lifeaftergod.org. You can also check out our social media accounts. They're all linked up there at our website. Uh, you can find our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Our Life After God. Uh, same handle for Instagram. And I hope you will follow us and share uh, the kinds of things that we post there if you're able to do that. Thanks again for listening. I appreciate your patience as I've gotten the podcast back online. If you want to write in and share anything with me about this episode or anything else related to Life After God, you can reach me at ryan at lifeaftergod.org. As always, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash lifeaftergod. And I am so grateful for everyone's support and encouragement through this difficult few weeks as we deal with the repercussions of the election, which is taking place today. Uh, Hopefully, maybe next week we can get some uh, thoughts from various individuals about the election and the results. In the meantime, uh, don't despair. Uh, Keep focused on the good. And we'll be back next week with a new episode. Until then, my name is Ryan Bell, and this has been the Life After God podcast.